Where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it, you can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and YouTube. Then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually BitChute, hopefully. Uh, just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow, but he's getting better. He, he'll eventually get back to emailing you. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them. Warn them. Joe is an acquired taste. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. I was doing my Penn and Teller's routine there this morning. <laughs> that would make uh, Charlie Penn, I believe it is, because he's the one who talks. If I got that correctly, I don't. I don't know. Hey, it's Worship Wednesday, folks. Time to study the scriptures today, and I have a bit of a, a show for you all this morning, but I've noticed that one of our classmates is late, so if and when he shows up, AI, assign him a, a research paper for us, at least 20 or 30 pages. He should be here. He knows better. So this is part five of our Bible basics class. Um, if you look in your show notes on Rumble, it tells you which ones that you need to um, need to go back and watch if you want to catch up. The whole purpose here is to go back to the, I mean, back to the basics. What are what is the absolute, you know, basic basics of our faith of a biblical faith? So we've been trying to cover that, and this is where we're going to pick up today. Hopefully, you've been with us for the others. <laughs> Aaron just popped in. He was he was watching, he was chasing after other gods. It's important that you did see the other show that we did, especially on um recapturing our uh the biblical worldview. So you're going, you might, if you're, if you're just tuning in today and you haven't been with us in the previous shows, you're, you got some catching up to do. Like I said, this is part five in our series. The following teaching reflects my understanding, mine, Joe's, my understanding of the scripture at this time. All citations come from the NASB translation, unless I state otherwise. That does not apply to the memes that I borrow from different people. I don't know what translations they use, but I don't put them up there unless I agree with them. Or if I don't always fully agree, I will let you know where and why I disagree. Bible basics, one point at a time. These are my slideshows. I put these together. I, uh, we will have them again in the future at some point. Every time you see this little slide, it means we're going to talk about a new subject. 
the subject at hand for the first thing today, Israel. And if you don't recognize it, that's all of the different signs of the tribes in the background there. So what exactly do we mean by Israel? Well, we need to properly understand the different Israels in Scripture. When I was still just in the pew before I had become a teacher, I always used to think Israel all is the same thing. I never realized how many different Israels are in my Bible. Now that I'm starting to study the scriptures, and I mean dig into them, I'm finding out they had a whole bunch of different Israels in the Bible. And if you don't understand them and have them clear in your head, it is very easy to get them messed up. And if you mix them up, you can get yourself chasing after bad doctrine very quickly, and it is easy to do. First case in point, the first appearance of Israel in the scriptures is as a name. Genesis 32, verses 27 through 39. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. This is the angel that Jacob has been wrestling with, the Elohim. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have contended with God, Elohim, and with men, and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is that? Why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed them there. This is where the man, Jacob, is renamed Israel by the angel of Yahweh, by the angel of the Lord, the angel he was wrestling with. And he calls himself Elohim. And in this case, not just any old Elohim. He was wrestling with Yahweh in some shape, form. Okay, so we've got that done. That's the first place you see Israel. Next is as a tribe. Genesis 34, verses 6 and 7. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard about it, and the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not be done. Actually, if I understand the context here, Charlie can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure this was a rape. It took the daughter by force. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. So this is a disgraceful thing in Israel. Well, this is the time when it's just is, is Jacob, the man Israel, and his sons and their wives and daughters and children. This is not really a nation here. This isn't even really a region. This is just wherever they live. That's because this is a case of a tribe. Now, they say in Israel because that's part of how the Hebrew thinks. They don't really differentiate between the tribe, the family. They, they kind of blend these ideas together. And this is what we're going to address Friday is a little bit more about the difference between the Greek and Hebrew thinking. And it's a logic class. Trust me, it'll be a logic class. It's just the Greek and Hebrew thinking will be our illustration. But here we see Israel as a tribe. Then we see them become a people. This is in Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel, that's the sons of Jacob, the man renamed Israel, were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So here, Pharaoh is now calling them, instead of a tribe, they're now a people, a group of tribes. You have a people of 12 different clans, one according to, well, 13 by that time, but it'll eventually become. 
Now we have Israel as a nation, and it was a republic at that. In this case, you do not see the name Israel. What happens here is this is where Israel becomes an actual nation. Now, this is in Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 18. But previously, earlier in the book of Joshua, Joshua had written down all the words of the, of the law on a stone, and he put half the people on one mountain, half on another, and they shouted back and forth between the valley, declaring that they were going to keep the law, and they called down the blesses and curses on themselves if they don't. That was step one in becoming a nation. This is step two. It says, we will serve Yahweh. We see this passage a lot, or a part of it. We don't fully understand what's going on in this because we don't pay attention to it from the Hebrew perspective. Joshua 24, starting verse 14. Now, therefore, fear Yahweh. I, I left the the in there. It says the Lord. I'm sorry. I, I was putting in the real names here. It's important to see the actual names that are in the Hebrew. Fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and truth. And do away with the gods, the Elohim, which your fathers served beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve Yahweh. Stop right here. Do away with the gods that your fathers, your ancestors served when you were still in Ur, before Abraham, and the Egyptian gods. Do away with the Babylonian gods and the Egyptian gods. This passage does not treat them as though they do not exist. This passage treats them as though they're very real, and this is why it was important to put the actual names in there. Which God are we talking about? This is why we did the unseen realm. This is spiritual geography. This is divine council worldview stuff. Your nation has a patriot God, you know, a patron God. Each nation in the ancient times, Yahweh, and in this case, Elohim, a powerful spiritual being, mighty one. Each nation had one. Canaanites had Baal, Babylon had Bel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And in a lot of cases, they had more than one. So you have to pay attention because the nation is associated with its God or its head God. That's what they're doing right here. This is what Joshua is actually doing. He says in verse 15, he says, but if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods, the Elohim, which your fathers served, which were beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods, the Elohim of the Amorites, in whose land you are living now. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Once again, I didn't get the the out of the way. He's going to serve Yahweh. What's going on here is Joshua is creating a new nation within that land of the Amorites. This is both a spiritual and a physical thing going on here. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual geography. It reflects in the material world. But what's going on here when, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. He's saying he is under the nation of Yahweh. He's in the kingdom of Yahweh. There's a spiritual kingdom and it has a material, you know, our worldly reflection. Joshua continues and he says, the people answered and said, far be it from us, for us, that we should abandon Yahweh to serve other Elohim, other gods. For Yahweh, our God, our Elohim, is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of slaves and did these great signs in our sight and watched over us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through whose midst we passed. Yahweh drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve Yahweh, for he is our Elohim. 
So the people chose Yahweh. Now notice it says all the Amorites are no longer in the land. This is after the conquest of the land. Most of the people have been driven out. Israel disobeyed and didn't destroy all the Canaanites. But most of the people have been driven out of the land, and they are reestablishing it and dedicating the land to a new Elohim. It's no longer under the gods of the Amorites or the Canaanites. This is the establishment of Israel, the nation. That's what this is conceptually. And we have to understand that. This is very important. This is not Israel, the man. This is not Israel, the tribe. This is not Israel, the people per se. This is now Israel, the nation. And th this was actually a physical nation, right? Now it is, yes. Yes. Oh. Before yeah. then, they were not a physical nation. Right. But now they're a physical nation. And, and where, where were they located? In the Holy Lands. Oh. So, like, they had possession of this land way back then? Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Even before then, don't forget, the king of Philistines gave the, le the right to Abraham to live wherever he wanted. Whoopsie. Yeah. So, then it becomes a kingdom. This is 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 22. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord grants Israel's request. This is when Israel's grumbling for a king. They want a king to be like all the other nations. Up until now, they're a republic. They don't have a king. They're ruled by judges who are using the law to make their decrees. That's what this country was set up, the mirror. We were set up just like Israel was originally set up with no king. We were a nation of laws. We were a republic. Well, here the people want to go backwards. They want to be like Europe, you know, like today. Let's be like Europe. They want a king. So in this 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, it says, Yet the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, so that we also may be like all the nations and our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in Yahweh's hearing. And Yahweh said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint a king for them. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And then the story goes on. And this is just the antithesis of what Yahweh wanted for them. Yes, it's it? the exact opposite. And he said, okay, if that's what they want, Yahweh said, go ahead and give it to them. Because he wanted to separate them from the nations. Well, don't forget, as folks, every time we see nation, I could just as easily put in there, be Gentiles. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the word that's back there. So, so we want to be just like the Gentiles. And we're doing the same thing today because everybody, yes. like you just said, everybody, oh, we should be like Europe. Oh, look at, look at Norway or look at Sweden or look at Germany and look at how well they're doing with their health care or whatever and stuff. We should be like them. Yep. We're doing the same thing. Now, after this. Israel becomes a house. First Kings chapter 12, verses 16 through 19. When all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people replied to the king saying, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the sons of Jesse. To your tents, Israel. Now look at your own house, David. This is after Solomon dies and his son levies the tax on everybody and causes a civil war. So it continues. So Israel went away to their tents, the northern kingdom. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, I don't know, reigned over them. That's the king. Then the king Rehoboam, he sent Adoram, who was in charge of, the, of forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. 
and King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has broken with the house of David to this day. And if you look in Ezekiel, Yahweh, speaking through his prophet Ezekiel, very clearly calls them the two kingdoms, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But from this point in Kings, we've got to be very careful with this because we have how many different ways of looking at Israel now? He's a man. He's a tribe. He's a people. He's a, a republic nation. Then he's a kingdom. Now he's a house, part of a divided kingdom. Then it becomes a spiritual kingdom. Again, it doesn't say this, but if you trace the concept, that's what's going on here. We're in John now. Gospel of John, chapter 18, starting in verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. Who's, who's, what's he king of? He's king of Yahweh. He's king of the kingdom of Yahweh. You know, he's king of God's spiritual kingdom. He's king of Israel, the body of all believers, all Israel, all who believe and strive with Yahweh. He's king of that kingdom, but he says it's not of this world. So he's telling us right here, he's telling Pilate, my kingdom, is, I have one, but it's spiritual. It's not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be handed over to the Jews, the house of Judah. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. No, he's talking about dimensional stuff here, spiritual geography. This is why the unseen realm that we covered, you know, our last question, that's why this is so important. This is what's going on here. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this purpose, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth, capital T truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So if you actually pursue capital T truth, you will hear his voice. What is truth? Yeah, that's, I, I left that out. The final Israel will be a restored kingdom. There will be one more Israel. This is the rejoining of the two sticks and the grafting in of all the Gentiles. But it'll be a spiritual and material kingdom. This is very important that we understand this. If you are reading the New Testament, you will find all of those different versions of Israel, all of those different meanings or thoughts or concepts of Israel used at some point in time in the New Testament. If you do not know they exist, you don't know how to catch them in their proper context. And even when you know the different meanings for the word Israel, you have to pay attention to the context to know which one we're talking about, especially when you're reading Paul's letters. Paul doesn't always point out which one he's doing. And he might talk about three or four different of the different types of Israel. He might talk about three or four of them all at once and jump back and forth without giving you any indication because he expects you to know this stuff. So when he says that the Gentiles are grafted into Israel, he's not talking about the Jews. He's talking about the house of Israel. And before today's show is over, I'm going to show you the biblical concept that proves that I am correct in my understanding here. Paul knows what he's talking about. He's a Pharisee. That's a good and a bad thing. But the good part of it is he knows the Pentateuch. He knows the first five chapters of the Bible very well, probably memorized. So let's keep going here. If you have questions, throw them on the board. Charlie will take care of it. This is the essence of the gospel, folks. Yahweh's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not my opinion. Yeshua said, Jesus said, 
my gospel is the kingdom of Yahweh, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. That's his gospel. We'll get to the rest of it before the end of this show. Don't worry. You're still okay. Covenant. We have to understand the concept of covenants in the Bible. The biblical concept of a covenant is a foundation stone of our faith. It is crucial that we understand the biblical concept of the covenant. I cannot stress that enough. Go to your homework today. You're going to find just a short little homework assignment with several links. The first one, I'm going to put, put it up here on the board right now. Give me just a second and I'll pop all of this over here. Let's throw that up. Let's make it full screen. I know it's going to be hard for you to read, but this is the Ancient Hebrew Research Center. Uh, Jeff Brenner, uh, Benner, B-E-N-N-E-R. He, he runs it. He is one of, he, he does a Hebrew lexicon and he does a lot of work with uh, the Hebrew language. He's not the go-to for Hebrew, mean, the meaning of Hebrew words, but he's pretty good in explaining some of this stuff. We're not going to read this. I just want to show you that this is there for you. You can go through this and read it later. But the idea of a covenant in Hebrew, you cut a covenant. So when Yahweh, you know, God is talking with Abraham and he puts Abraham asleep and he, he cuts the goat and he splits it in half. And, you know, Abraham sees the, the light go, you know, the lamp or the, the fire go between the two covenants. That's part of what's going on. They're cutting a covenant. And Yahweh swore that covenant to himself. Normally, a covenant has two people or two parties. We will cover covenants in greater detail. They're important. But the idea that we need to, the thing we need to understand about the covenant right now, the part that's most important, is that a covenant is not a contract. Oh, you have no idea how, how important it is to understand that a covenant is not a contract. When you violate a contract, the contract can be dissolved. It no longer exists. You've broke the contract. And it's not a testament either. Yes, it's not a testament either. Because a testament, last will and testament, that's that's how we call that's why we call them testaments. Testament is a Greek thinking thing. And and it's part of why Paul says, you know, you got to die to put the testament into place. It's it a covenant is not on the none of this stuff. A covenant has usually usually has no end. In most cases, it has no end. It can be, you can fall out of keeping with the covenant, but it can be restored. And when you restore it, you don't erase any of the previous parts of it. You can add to or change the way you, you adhere to that, but they must stay in place. This is very important that we understand this. And there are different types of covenants. You're, you're going you're to have a blood covenant. The first place you see that is in Genesis. When, when God makes clothing for Adam and Eve, where do you think he gets the, you know, this animal skin from? Well, there was an animal that was sacrificed. And the Hebrew word there says it was a woolly animal. So more than likely a sheep, a lamb, more than likely. It's a guess. We don't know for sure. The Hebrew hints at it, but that's a blood covenant. That's a servant covenant. Then there's a salt covenant. Remember when Abraham meets the, the three men going to Sodom and Gomorrah? One of them's Yahweh, you know, God, the angel of the Lord. And they sit down and they eat. Well, there would have been salted bread. How do we know that? Because God calls Abraham our friend. That's the salt covenant's friendship covenant. Then the sandal covenant. This is inheritance. You remember the story of, 
uh, Boaz and Ruth, where Boaz goes to the gate and he goes to the the relative who should claim Ruth and, and redeem her and the property. And he doesn't want to do that. So he takes off his sandal and he gives it to Boaz. That's a physical sign that he's handing his right of inheritance to Boaz. That's a covenant. Then there's the threshold covenant, marriage covenant. So all of these are important and we will return to these in another show. We will do this shortly. It's probably going to be part of this series. These basic concepts must be firmly rooted in our understanding or we will not properly fully understand what's going on in our scriptures. I like to tell those who study with me in our Sabbath study, it doesn't mean you can't understand any of it. It's like eating plain popcorn or plain rice with no seasoning. When you properly fully understand what the biblical covenant is, now it's like, you know, popcorn with all the salt and the, you know, the cheese spread or whatever on it and butter or whatever you want to put on it or, you know, rice with soy sauce or whatever. You got flavor. Okay. It's a, it's a fuller, better understanding. You can still get the essence of what you need out of this, just reading the Bible the way it is. But once you start learning to read it from the Hebrew concept, then it's going to start making a lot more sense and the fireflies are going to start going off in your head. Now, more Bible basics. Our inheritance. Ha, ha, ha. This is part of a covenant. This is important, folks. Your your eternal life is part of your inheritance, right? And most of us don't understand biblically what we're talking about. It's a cornerstone, and it's crucial that we understand the idea of inheritance. If you don't understand the importance or the, the concept, the practices, the customs of inheritance in the scriptures in the ancient times, you're not going to fully understand a lot of things in the Bible. Like you're not going to be able to fully appreciate what's happening in the following passage. It's going to be Genesis 48, 8 through 20. We are going to read this one, and I'm going to talk to you about it as we go through it. I'm using Bible Gateway here. Let me just pop myself out of it. So, Okay, the NASB translation, Genesis 48, 8 through 20. What's happening here is Joseph brings his children to Ephraim and Manasseh to his father, Israel, Jacob, Israel. And he wants a blessing for him. So that's where we're going to pick up. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, so that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. And Joseph brought them close to him and kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see you, your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knee and bowed his face to the ground, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. What's going on there, folks? I'm going to interject at this point. What's going on here is Joseph knows that Manasseh is the older boy, and he expects as the firstborn that that his father's going to place his right hand on Manasseh's head and bless Manasseh with the with the blessing of the firstborn. And he expects that Ephraim, as the second child, is going to get the lesser blessing. So he pushes the children forward to his father so that all his dad has to do is reach out both hands straight out, okay, and bless the children. 
says, then Joseph took, okay, we got that. It says, but Israel reached out his right hand and placed it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angels have redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys, and my name live on in them, and the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow in the multitude in the midst of the earth. So now when, when Jacob, the man Israel, crosses his arms to do this, <laughs> he makes the sign of the Tav, which is a Hebrew letter, and it stands for a covenant or strong promise. This is important. This is all symbology in the Hebrew mind thinking. This work, this is prophecy. This is your blessings are prophecy. In in the ancient times, they're a prophecy over those kids. So he says, My name is on both of them. So his name is on Joseph. It says, when Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. That's because of the inheritance, customs, and laws, folks. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations or a multitude of goyim so that he blessed them that day, saying, But you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Why is all of this so important? When you understand the inheritance and how inheritance worked back in that time, and when you understand that Jacob said, Let my name be on these boys, Remember, God gave the blessings to Abraham and then said it'll go through Isaac. And from Isaac to Jacob, Jacob transferred the right of those promises to Ephraim and Manasseh with Ephraim first. If you want to be grafted into the house of Israel, you can't go through Judah. They don't hold the birthright. Ephraim holds the birthright. So when Paul says you have to be grafted into Israel, and Israel's been partially blinded, what Paul was mentioning was the prophecy that says, talks about Ephraim being mixed into the lands, and it says, you're in the lands where, you know, you don't think you're the sons of the living God, the living Elohim, but eventually you'll wake up, and the people around you, the, the Gentiles around you will say, you are the sons of the living Elohim. When the church says, that the lost tribes are not part of prophecy and don't know who they are. And when they say like the Hebrew roots movement has this mistaken heretical idea that they're part of the lost tribes. No, 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 no. They may be, and they know that, but they also know that that's who they're grafted in to. The bulk of what we call the Christian church is part of that prophecy we just read. And Paul knew it. It's the Hebrew people of the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, who have been blinded. The Jews know exactly who they are. We read it and we think, well, they're blinded as to who the Messiah is. He didn't say that in Romans. He just says they're partially blinded as to an enemy to you. <laughs> That's because they think they're Gentiles. 
So they're a natural enemy to those people who believe. When you understand covenants and inheritance, a lot of the things in the New Testament start clicking into place very smoothly. You don't, they're like magnet toys. You don't have to force those puppies together. You just put them close enough and they self-align. When you understand these concepts, as a Hebrew would understand them, these little Lincoln, you know, magnetic Lincoln logs start lining themselves up for you. They flop right into place. And that's what we're going to try to help you see over the next few weeks. Bible basics. Let me fix this real quick. There we go. So. We'll come back to the the idea of the inheritance in another show. Next Bible basic. The biblical concept of Torah. We're going to be getting um, Charlie in on this one in just a minute. Torah is a crucial foundation stone of our faith. Unfortunately, it's also one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of Scripture. We're going to go back to the computer screen here. We're going to bring up this one. Right here. This is back to Mr. Benner's site. And it says, what is Torah? Now, I'm not going to read this. You can go to your homework and you can read this. I'm going to bring Charlie in here. I'm going to let Charlie give us a little bit of an explanation of what Torah is. Charlie, would you explain to the class the better, more fuller, more correct Hebrew understanding of Torah? (laughs) And bring in, you know what? Let's just drop this. Bring in your analogy with a father. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, because gonna... I've, I've come to understand this a lot better recently in my own studies. And and I believe from, you know, just Yahweh blessing me with better understanding through his spirit. But Torah, in, in the simplest definition from the Hebrew, is instruction or teaching. Now... You will find in many places, many scholars will call Torah law, okay, which is not entirely incorrect. And let me explain that. Um, Because as I've come to understand Torah, it is both. And the reason I say that is the analogy I use is, is a father and a son. And, you know, as you're a child growing up, your your father gives you certain rules to follow, certain instructions, and he expects you to follow them. And, of course, he knows that you're not always going to get it right and you're going to screw up. But even, and this has scriptural support as well, when a, when a son messes up and he's like, oh, crap, I realized I screwed up. So he he walks himself back to dad, goes to dad and says, dad, I screwed up. Sorry, I'll take my my punishment, whatever it is I need to do, and I'll try better next time. Okay, that's the Torah of teaching and instruction. Now, on the other hand, you have sons that say, forget you, father, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to just do whatever the heck I want to do. And then there comes a time when father says, enough of this mess, son. There are, you know, you you can make your own decisions. That's great. You have your, your ability to choose, but you can't choose the consequences of your action. So here's the penalties that are going to be applied to you. 
And then, you know, that that son has the opportunity at that time even to turn around and say, okay, dad, I'll take my licks and, and I'll change. But he can also say, okay, whatever, and keep on walking that way. And that's when the law takes full effect. That's my understanding of Torah. Yeah, Torah is teachings. It's teachings, but it can be law if you are in full rebellion. Yeah. That's my understanding. And that's exactly what scripture says. It's it's a guardrail for those who are in walking in accordance with, with the Father. And it's an enforcement for those who are going to be lawless. Right. Because, I mean, if, if you do what Yahweh says, you, you get lots of blessings, too. I mean, that mm -hmm. there's blessings. That, I mean, you can see that in, in what we traditionally call the Torah, the first five books. But that, that that's not the full of Torah. I have come to understand. But there are blessings and curses outlined in Deuteronomy. You know, you do this and you'll get these blessings. You do this, yep. you get the curses. And so he's laying out, this is what happens. This is, you know, you can make your own decisions, but you don't get to choose the consequences. And it's meant to protect us. It is. And bless us. It is. Thank you, Charlie. The reason I asked Charlie to do that, folks, is because he's actually a Hebrew scholar who can read biblical Hebrew. He knows this better than me. I have to rely on other folks. Now, where's some of this confusion come from? Now, it's because we translate Torah as law rather than teachings. And when believers read the law, they've been conditioned to think law of Moses. And whenever they see the law of Moses, believers have been conditioned to think legalism. Wrong. Wrong. Confusion has caused no end of harm to the body of believers. We have got to get this fixed. Torah, like we just showed you, he, excuse me, Charlie explained, it's a Hebrew word for instruction designed to teach us the truth about God and ourselves and how we relate to him. And Torah means direction, teaching, instructions, and doctrines. Like Paul tells you, Torah is a teacher. You know, it, it held our hand and taught us until such time as the Messiah came. Torah is meant for protection correction direction and salvation if you are not being corrected you don't belong to the father and as soon as you're no longer part of the father's house now torah becomes a law now now it becomes the harder side of things instead of teachings and corrections now it becomes that law that's applied to the lawless person torah makes us wise unto salvation through faith let's work out our salvation through obedience torah will make you wise enough to to do the things that will get you toward salvation so Charlie just brought this up. We're going to read Deuteronomy 30 closely, very closely. Let me pop that up here on the screen. See if I need to get, yep, I need to get myself out of this. All right, we're going to read this. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse one. So it will be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have placed before you. This is Yahweh speaking through Moses. And you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. <laughs> what? Okay, stop real quick. Remember where we're at. They are in the wilderness. They haven't been scattered to the nations. Yahweh's talking to them through Moses while they're in the wilderness as a wandering nation of people. <clears throat> Folks, this is a prophecy of the future. This is the dysphoria. Diasporia. This is after everybody's been thrown out of the, the Holy Lands. 
He says, and you call to mind all the nations when the Lord your God scattered you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul in accordance with everything that I am commanding you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the people where the Lord your God has scattered you. Oh, stop. I thought loving God with all your heart and mind was a new commandment. There it is right here in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. And what else does he say? He says he's going to bring you together again and make you one people. That's Ezekiel 37. The two sticks made one. That's the second exodus. He is talking about the restored covenant right here. If you understand the concepts, this jumps out at you. I heard Charlie just a second ago going, oh, because most of us read this thinking that this is talking to the Israelites there in the wilderness and applies to then and there. Notice what it says. This is clearly talking about the future. It says, if any of you scattered countrymen are at the ends of the earth from where the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back, the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will be good to you and make you more numerous than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. Wait a minute, doesn't Paul talk about circumcising your heart? Do you all see that this is directly connected to the teachings in the New Testament? Which means the New Testament didn't make up anything new. It just brought to mind and fully explained. It fulfilled the Old Testament, meaning it taught it properly. It shows you what we were supposed to always understand. So it continues, to love your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. You have to love God in order to live. If you say you love him and you do not keep his commandments, you are a liar. Loving God has is connected to keeping his word. Um, folks, this is new covenant language right here talking about loving God and keeping his commandments. This is about the restored covenant when everybody's brought back together in the land. Something that's going on right now and has been since 1946, since 1917. This is an ongoing prophecy in fulfillment right here. He is not talking about a time when there is no more Torah. This is Yahweh speaking through Moses, telling you that you will still be keeping his word. And he says, and the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commandments, which I am commanding you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in every work of your hand, in the children of your womb, the offspring of your cattle, and the produce of the ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. This is in the future. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. That's the third time it said that. When the scripture wants to hammer something home, it does it thrice. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it far away. We are taught today it's impossible to keep the law. That is not what Moses just said, speaking for Yahweh. He just said we can live sinlessly. Uh, no, he didn't, Joe. Yes, he did. And he is talking about blending the future with the present right here and now. That connects the old and the new covenant right here in Deuteronomy chapter 30.
There is no break. It's a restored covenant. So this is not in heaven that you could say who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. In other words, the law. I don't have to go to heaven to get it. Nor is it beyond the, the sea, but so that you could say who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. On the contrary, the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may follow it. Well, wait a minute. The new covenant's going to place the word of God in my heart. And that is not what Moses just said to the people there and then at that time. He said, it's already in your heart. It's always supposed to have been then. Brothers and sisters, do you see? We have been confused. The New Testament didn't teach anything new. It taught us to properly understand what had always supposed to have been. Moses is talking. He is blending the new covenant when everybody's brought back from all the different places in the world where they've been scattered. This is not after the return from Babylon. They were scattered to Babylon. He said from all corners of the world. This is in the prophecy where Ephraim is brought back to be rejoined with Judah. And Ephraim comes trembling from the west and from the four corners of the earth. These are other prophecies that we've covered here on this show before. And now Moses said, you will have to obey. And that law will be in your heart, both then while they're in the desert of Sinai and in the future. And he says, choose life. See, I have placed before you today life and happiness and death and adversity. This is the covenant. You will follow my teachings or you and leads to life. Torah is life. And disobedience to Torah is death. In that I am commanding you today to love your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, the whole of his Torah, so that you may live and become numerous and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but allow yourself to be led astray, and you worship the gods and serve them, other gods, foreign gods, I declare to you today that you will certainly perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and take possession of it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have placed before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding close to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, so that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. We've been taught by the traditions of our faith today that all that applied to physical Israel. This is before they entered the Holy Land. Remember, they're just a people. They're not a king. They're not a nation. They're not a kingdom yet. They're just a people. They're just a people. They're not a nation. So how the heck does that apply to the nation? It hasn't become a nation yet. That promise was made to the people. Anybody who's, and don't forget, there are Gentiles grafted in with them there. The mixed multitude is, there's part of the mixed multitude still with them. It doesn't separate those people. They were asked to agree to that covenant as well. They were grafted in to Israel because at the time, and Ephraim and Manasseh are still with them. Ephraim and Manasseh hold the birthright. If you understand covenants, if you understand inheritance, if you properly understand Torah, 
All of this makes sense. And if you understand how to read the prophets properly, the biblical way, you realize that Moses was just talking about a prophecy in the future. Because he says that we're going to, you know, the people there he's talking to, the, right before they enter the promised land with Joshua, says you are going to rebel in the future and you're going to be scattered everywhere. He says Yahweh will bring you back together. And when he does, that was Yahweh speaking through Moses. He says, you're going to have my law back in your heart. But then Moses turns around and says, it should be in your heart right now, where he's talking to the people then that are about to go take possession of the Holy Land. So I thought the new covenant was going to place the law in our heart. Shock of shocks, it's supposed to have been there all along, huh? So another reason for our confusion is caused by not paying close attention to the many different types of law in Scripture. And there are many different types of law. There's a law of sin and death. There's the law of this. There's the law of that. There's at least seven or eight different types of law in the book of Romans. But if we also pay attention to the law, to the scriptures and the, 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 the teaching, the Torah, scripture says it's the way. Torah is the way. Malachi 2.8. Torah is truth. Psalm 119 verse 142. Torah is life. Proverbs 6.23. Also Deuteronomy that we just read. Torah is light. Isaiah 8.20. Torah is perfect. Psalm 19.7, Torah is holy, Romans 7.12, Torah is freedom, Psalm 119.45, Torah is good, Proverbs 4.2. So why, do we, why would Yahweh want to throw all of that away? Hmm? Don't forget, Yeshua, Jesus, is the living Torah. He did not come to abolish Torah, but to show you how to live it. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, when properly understood as a Hebrew. The idea that he fulfilled it and did away with it, that's Greek thinking. That's not Hebrew thinking. And I don't care if that Matthew was written in Greek, if you've got it in Greek. It's, it's Hebrew thinking. Even if it is in Greek, you've got to understand it as the Hebrew understands it. Because Matthew didn't suddenly become a Greek. He was a Hebrew through and through. Large part of our confusion is caused by not reading scriptures, brothers and sisters. Reading them for ourselves. Seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Here's one of the things that we miss. This is in your scripture. It's not directly explained and laid out. The Pentateuch, that's sometimes called the Torah, like Charlie was saying. The law or the teachings, that's Torah, the five books of Moses, which is the Pentateuch, the entire Old Testament, the Tanakh, when Yeshua says, isn't it written in your law that ye are gods? He's quoting Psalms. He says, the prophets, he says, the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Tanakh. He said, I did not come away to come to do away with the law or the prophets, the Tanakh. Now, all Jewish law, Bible and Talmud, be careful with that one. Jews call that, modern-day Jews, Orthodox Jews, call that Torah. Torah can also include the oral teachings. They call that Torah. Some Jews say Torah is written and spoken. Those last three, Jesus came to wage war against them. He did not acknowledge the oral Torah. Jesus would say things like, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, he says things like, you know, you've heard it said, but it is written. What he was saying is, you've heard the oral law say this, but the written law says something different. The written law is the law of God, of Yahweh. The 
oral law is the law of men. That's the law that was nailed to the cross. This is part of what's going on right here. This gives you an idea of it, the written law and the oral law. You don't need to focus on this too much. This is Orthodox Jews get into this. But this is, the, this is what the Pharisees were condemned for. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for placing their oral law, their traditions, above the written Torah. This oral law is part of what was canceled out. The, the accusations of the Pharisees, that's part of what was nailed to the cross, not Yahweh's Torah. I told you there's more than one law in the book of Romans. you got to be careful with this, just like there's more than one concept for Israel. You've got to learn these things or you will get confused. Torah is the constitution of the kingdom of Yahweh. That's exactly how we should look at it. Well, for those of us who seek to restore the constitution of this country, we should be able to see and understand the relationship between the written Torah and the kingdom of God. Don't you think? Other Bible basic. Let me see which one we've got here. Salvation. You know what? This is where we're going to take our break. Let me sum up a little bit before we let Charlie dance around over there for six minutes because he does love that music. He's just a little Hebrew over there. Understand what Israel is in the Bible. Get a good understanding of the different ways that word, the different things that that word is applied to. Jacob the man, after he's wrestled with the angel, with uh, Jacob, his tribe, his family, his small family unit, his tribe, before it becomes a people of tribes, you know, before they become clans and it becomes a people while they're in Egypt. So you have a people with a different clan for each tribe, you know, according to the 12 sons, 13 sons, and then they become uh, a nation Republic. Then they become a kingdom where they're under a King and they would get split in half and they become the house of Israel. Remember, Yeshua, Jesus, he says, I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He knows exactly what he's saying, exactly what he's talking about. He's not sending them to the Jews. He said, first I come to the Jews, but then I go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He knows they're different. It's in your scriptures. And eventually they'll be reunited into the new kingdom, the universal final kingdom, the eternal reign. But all of that is Israel. There's a spiritual Israel. You've got to understand these things, and you have got to pay attention to where they're being used in the context of your scriptures. Because if they're talking about the man Israel and you're thinking Jew, you're going to get in trouble. Then you have to understand covenants and inheritance. Those are closely linked concepts. That is how you get into the kingdom. That is you know, why you have the inheritance because you get grafted into the kingdom through the covenants that Yahweh made that Jacob gave to Ephraim, who is the leader of the Northern tribes, the house of Israel. And then you have to understand what Torah actually is. The greater concept of Torah. Stop being afraid of it. Stop automatically thinking legalism. That is not a biblical way of thinking of Torah. It's incorrect. It causes bad doctrine. It gets us in trouble. It makes us hostile to the Torah. Well, folks, 
we've already covered this and we'll cover it again and again and again. If you are hostile toward Torah, the word of Yahweh, who is the word of Yahweh? In the beginning, there was the word, Yeshua, Jesus. The word becomes flesh, made flesh, and he is Yahweh in the flesh. If you're hostile to Torah, you're hostile to Jesus and Yahweh. Whoopsie. You know whose team you're on now, right? That's team Satan. Be careful with this. I know that a lot of Catholic and Protestant, you know, pastors and preachers would listen to me right now and they'd be just jumping up and down going crazy. That's very good. I don't mind. The Pharisees jumped up and down and went crazy when Jesus confronted them too. I'm not making anything up. I'm reading his word from cover to cover, front to back, and I'm taking no flack from any rank because I'm standing behind my general and his lieutenant, or his captain in this case, captain of the army of hosts, his son, Yeshua. I'm just reading the rule book as they meant it to be understood and trying to be a good, faithful little private, bear witness to what my general and my captain said. It's Hebrew faith, and I'll teach about that in the, in the next hour. Hebrew faith is not what we think it is. The faith that the Bible tells you to have is not what we've been taught. Well, faith is the assurance of things not seen. Yes, I know that's what Paul said. Did you bother digging into what he meant? Or did you just assume you knew? Brothers and sisters, we all know how to spell assume, right? Yes. So, six-minute break. Charlie dances around. We come back. We'll pick up with salvation. See you in six.
y'all missed it, man. Charlie was doing Hebrew ballet over there. <laughs> Up on his little twinkle toes and everything, man. <laughs> yes, you're correct. Dance puppet. I mean, Charlie dance. <laughs> little dancing puppet. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bible basics. We're going to get right back into it. You're not back in your pew, man. Because <laughs> I can't wait today. I'm, I'm trying to talk slower. Because you know I could have covered this whole show in 20 minutes. Y'all, y'all been here for a while. You know I can do that. I can talk faster and y'all can listen. So trying to talk slower so that everybody can digest this. So I've got to get going. All right. Drug my feet long enough. Salvation. This is a very misunderstood concept that needs to be better understood from the Hebrew perspective. Once again, I have given you a link. If you go to your homework, I've given you a link to you know, definition, the Hebrew understanding of salvation. It's even in Yeshua's name. It's it's connected. Charlie, pop your mic on real quick. Um, you you want to just give a quick overview there? Because I know that Yahoshua, Yeshua, all this, you know, that's just a big argument within. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah, in general form, Yeshua would stand for. Yeah, y Yeshua is the shortened form of Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is our salvation. Yeah. And if you look for it, in the prophets, you are going to find Yahweh telling you there is no Savior but me. He doesn't say my son, my Messiah, or he says no Savior but me, which is a way of saying that Yahweh and Jesus are one and the same, somehow, some way, shape, or form. And we did that not too long ago as well. So you, you have to understand that from the Hebrew mindset, salvation is rescue. Rescue from an enemy, enemy or an adversary. And in the Hebrew mindset, there's an enemy greater than Satan. Death. Death is the enemy. Death is the ultimate enemy because death is ultimate separation from Yahweh, from God. So death is more of an enemy than even Satan. Now, Satan's the one who's going to try to drag you down to Sheol, the pit, you know, where you, where you live when you're dead, you know, into the pit. You don't live. You're dead, dead. You, you become nothing. You, you cease to be. You get eternally separated from God. And that is because Yahweh, you know, is the focal point of everything in the Hebrew world. He is the center of everything. There is no church on Sunday. It is church every second of every minute of every hour of every day. That's how the Hebrew mind lives. It's a way of life. It's a walk. This is the way. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, the Hebrew way. So salvation is a rescue from death. And this is why they keep talking about eternal life. That's what the Hebrew mindset thinks of when it thinks salvation, rescue from death, from eternal death. So now when we read this, we say salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Jesus this and Jesus that. Oh my good googly moogly. This is true. Yes, there is no other name by which you may be saved. However, we must understand the biblical concept of name. So again, I gave this to you here, another one. It is Shem, but this is another time where I'm going to just hop out of here and I'm going to ask Charlie to throw himself in here and I'm going to have him explain to us what Shem means to a Hebrew. Yeah, in Greek you say name and that just means eh, title. We call Label. Joe Joe. Yeah. And that's not what Shem means in the Hebrew. Shem is more of what 
it used to be back in, you know, maybe 40 or 50 years ago when if you did something bad and brought disgrace upon your family, that was bringing disgrace upon the name of your father or, you know, your, the surname as we would call yeah, it. Yeah, his character. His character. His reputation. His reputation his essence. And that's what Shem really means. And when we're talking about in the name of <laughs> Yeshua, and like we were talking, Yeshua, well, it's also Yahweh because he says salvation's own. So that gets into He's that. He's also the word, but it's which all, is Torah. Yeah, it's it's all together. It's it's the same same concept. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Keep it simple. It, but, it blends it together. But it's it's really and that, and that's where we we misunderstand one of the commandments. It says, you know, don't bring, you know, the name of God to vain is what it says in the King James. I don't like that translation. It's it really means to bring it to naught, to bring it to emptiness, to bring it to nothing. And that's what that's talking about is is don't bring. Oh, that's connected grace. to the Hebrew idea of faith. Yeah. Hold on to that, Charlie. Yeah. That's going to come back up and toward so, the end of the class. Yeah. So what we're trying to, you're trying, as you work, walk down the path, you're trying to bring honor to Yahweh. You're trying to be that light on the hill that Yeshua talked about. You're, you're trying to show the example of the way that Yahweh wants us to be so that other people see that and want to emulate that. So when you're told there's no other name that's, by salvation there's no other character there's no other elohim right. there's no other torah right. word right. living word yes. Yes. so when jesus says that you have to abide in me in other words you have to live within torah yes that's what that it, it's all rolled up in one mm -hmm. and it's a way of life and that that also shows the difference between Yahweh and the other little G gods. Yes, it does, because they're all about just strict obedience. Right. And Yahweh is about you choosing to want to do this. Yes. Yeah. And the and the other lowercase Gs are also very fickle in what they and vindictive say they want. And, and, yeah, and, and yep. yeah. Where Yahweh Yahweh is a true king. He has decrees and he writes these decrees down. And once they're written, a king must abide by these decrees. Yeah, his or, own law. Or he will be <laughs> he will be yeah, punished by his people or in even his his cabinet or whatever, you know, his his courtiers. Uh if he does not do that, he will he will come to naught. Yep. Uh so this is very serious stuff. That's why you know, some of this stuff seems legalistic because it is in, because these are formal, formal decrees, formal documents, formal. These are declarations of the king. They, they are. And so we have to understand that that's what we're dealing with. But there are, there is also grace associated with it. And that, oh boy, we could get it. Huh? That's, that's a whole you're, you're ahead of the class plan. That's just a whole nother story. And you're you're going to get your chance class. today. You're going to get your chance <laughs> okay, today. All right. <laughs> all right, Charlie. Just That's cool. Thank you. That'll work, Bloop. brother. Bloop. All right. So I want Charlie to explain these things because he understands these words much better than I do. I have to read other people, but he's been studying these. So name. There's no other name by which you are saved. Uh-huh. 
you better understand what it means by name and you better not understand it in the Greek sense. Because if you run around, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, Jesus saved me. Ah, mm -mm. His character and nature is what saves you. And by you abiding in him and him in you. Do you all understand conceptually, concept, the concept here? For Yeshua, the living word of Yahweh, Yahweh's word, Torah made flesh. If you live in him, you obey his teachings and follow his example, and then he lives in you. That's the Torah living in your heart, my law in your heart. Get it? I've been telling you, it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships, how these things relate to each other. So here you go. When, he, when Yeshua says, I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Torah is the way. He is the living Torah, Psalm 119, verse 1. I am Torah, which is truth. I am the way and the truth, Psalm 119, verse 142. Torah is life. Yeshua says, I am Torah. I am the living Torah. I am life, Deuteronomy 32, 46 through 47. Messiah is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Yeshua wasn't making anything new up. He was citing himself. This is logical deduction? Is That, that is a deductive saying? argument right there. That is air stinking tight. So how is he life? Well, there's no other name by which you may be saved. And if you abide in him, you know, the way, you'll find the truth that leads you to life. You will find the one true Elohim, creator God, and you will willingly join yourself to his kingdom and follow his rules, and that leads, he will save you from death. That's salvation. You're part of his kingdom, and if you're part of his kingdom, he will protect you. He will snatch you out of the, the penalty of, the, of death from the outside world. That's exactly what he's saying here. When you think as a Hebrew, this is crystal clear. This is also just another way of paying, putting it. Torah, the way. Blessed are the perfect in the way who walk in the Torah. Psalm 119, verse 1. Truth, your righteousness is righteousness forever, and your Torah is truth. Psalm 119, 142. Don't forget, righteousness and obeying Torah are the same thing. So that's Hebrew parallelism right there. Set your heart on all the words which I warned you today so that you command your children to um, not a worthless word for, for, for you because it is your life. And by this word, you prolong your days on the soil which you passed over the yard end to possess. Deuteronomy 32, 46 through 47. We read that in Deuteronomy 30 as well. Uh-oh, it gets repeated twice? Yeah, it's kind of important when you hear it more than once. Yeah, and what's interesting in, in, in the way this is, because it says here, so that you command your children to guard to do all the words of this. Yeah, story. hold on to that, Charlie. That That's going to come back. Make yourself a note. That's going to okay. come up when we go over the Hebrew concept of faith. Yes. Because that could teach your children to have faith in all the words of Torah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Trust me, the last one I have for you today is a biggie. You've been taught wrong. Yes, you have. Hold on. I need to make a note. I'll bring that back up. All right. One cannot walk in the Torah without Yeshua. True. And one cannot walk with Yeshua without walking in Torah. True. You know what this is? If you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you abide in the living word, the living word will abide in you. 
If you abide in the law, the law will abide in you. Oh, that's new covenant stuff, isn't it? Concept connects all of this. Concept. Form and function define. The understanding of salvation is so important that we plan to do a show just on this, and we will return to it shortly in the future. Now, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. Okay. This is another ba basic Bible concept. Being born again is another misunderstood concept. It is in the Old Testament. It is known as becoming Hebrew. Huh? Yes. Becoming a Hebrew. Remember, Hebrew means to cross over or one who has crossed over. Crossed over from what, Joe? Well, there are two kingdoms in the spirit world. Ours, Yahweh's, and kingdom that was given to Satan or that Satan stole or created for himself. There is obedience and disobedience. There's nothing else in the Bible. You are either obedient to the king or you are in rebellion to the king. That's the conflict. You have to choose this day. Will you serve Team Yahweh or one of those other lesser Elohim gods? Pick, because all those other lesser ones all serve the same person or the same entity or the same Elohim. We do not know Satan's real name. That was erased from history. And that's cool. He doesn't need to be named. It's not Lucifer. It's not Satan. Those are not his names. Those are titles. But when you understand Hebrew name, you know, like King David, it, that's not a title of a man's name in Hebrew. Go read the, the link I gave you. He explains it. King is also part of his name, his Shem. It's what he does. Names are important. This is why Satan's name was erased. To bring dishonor to him and to erase who and what he was supposed to be. So you have to choose which kingdom you're going to be in. And that's what salvation is all about. That's what crossing over is all about. It's not a change in the way you act. It's a change in the way you think. What? Yes. Relationship, right? This change in the way you think, that's what we mean by being born again. You no longer think in the terms of this world. You think in the spiritual. You think in Yahweh's spiritual world. And then you will start acting on earth as it's done in heaven. Because if you truly change the way you think, then that will show itself. The changing in your thinking will show itself in the way you act. And we refer to that as bearing fruit. That's the willingness obedience, the willing obedience. It comes with a change of mindset. You have to choose. When you choose Team Yahweh, you cross over from this world and spiritual and you know literal rebellion over to the spiritual alliance with Yahweh. And it will reflect in this material world and the things you listen like what Charlie was just saying. You reflect the Messiah, you uphold Yahweh's kingdom. It is not legalism to want to obey the Torah. It is, however, a sin not to do so. 1 John 3, 4. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. 
Romans 2.13. I looked this up in the Greek. A lot of your Bibles will say it'll be those who obey the law who are justified. That is not what the Greek says. If you're reading Old English, justified is an appropriate word, but most of us don't understand what justified means in the Old English setting. It's got a different meaning in modern terms. This is actually what the Greek says. Those who obey the law are declared righteous. Obedience is righteousness. Obedience to what, folks? Torah. So what we want to do is rewrite this in, in a way we, that would help. A better translation, for it is not those who hear the Torah who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the Torah who will be declared righteous. All the teachings, not just the commandments, but all the teachings. Torah as a wisdom book. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my Torah. It says commandments, but I put Torah. The connection? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, keep his Torah, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Keep his Torah as best you can understand it. We will return to this in the near future. Another Bible basic, sin. It's an archery term. It means you missed the mark. This is yet another greatly misunderstood concept. The biblical understanding of sin must be placed within the context of Torah and covenant. If you're thinking that the law is a contract, and if you sin, the contract's broken, you got to go to hell now because there's nothing you can do about it without a redeemer. Well, yes and no. Yes, you need a redeemer who is going to make it so that you can remarry Yahweh. What? The covenant. You can't enter into a marriage covenant with Yahweh unless the, the husband dies. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into all of this in more detail when we cover covenants. But that is, that's why Yeshua had to die. Well, he had to die to make propitiation for sin. Yes. And it's connected to that covenant. All of this is crucial for us to understand. But if you want to understand what a sin is, a sin is getting off the path. It means you missed the mark. What's the mark? Dad's teachings, like Charlie was explaining to us, your heavenly father has rules for his household. His household is his kingdom. When you mess up, you go back to dad. You tell dad, this is what I did. You know, I confess. Or dad says, did you do something wrong? You go, yeah, I did, dad. You don't, it, it, dad comes to you and says, uh, what have you done here, Adam? Oh, it was that woman you gave me. No, you don't do that. You bow up and you say, yeah, dad, I, I, I screwed the pooch. You confess it. You face it. You accept your responsibility and what you did wrong. When you do that, your heavenly father is faithful to forgive you and restore you. He will. That's a promise in scripture. Well, if you're restored, you're still in the kingdom. The problem is grace is the way you get into the kingdom, right? Grace is the, grace is the fact that he's decided he's going to come down and die for you so that he can remarry you. Grace is the fact that he will accept your apologies and your admissions. We'll get to that in a minute. But sin is missing the mark. 
Now, here's the thing. Since it's part of a covenant, when you sin, all you have to do is come back and do what the covenant requires for you to make right again and get back in line and restore the covenant. It's not like a contract that has to be rewritten and re-signed all over again, over and over and over again. Otherwise, Messiah would have to be crucified over and over and over again every time you sin. But he died once and for all for everybody, for all sins, past, present, and future. Because it's connected to a covenant. And the covenant says, if you'll confess your sins to the Father and repent, repent, quit doing this stuff. Show me. You know, it's like a, a, I don't mean to use this example. But it works, and I'm sorry, and I know that a lot of you out there struggle with this, so I don't mean to hurt feelings, but if you've got a child who's got an addiction, and they keep draining on your family, sooner or later, you got to put that child out of the house. So they come back and they tell you, I'm better, I'm better, I plead, I need it, whatever, I can't make it, I need back in the house. It is an agape love, it's a godlike love that you keep them out of the house until they show you they've changed. Yahweh works the same way. Eventually, if we keep, he's patient, but if we keep screwing up, eventually he puts us out of his, his companionship until we actually do change, which is why Paul says, if the brother or sister will not repent, kick them out of the congregation and hand them over to Satan, where hopefully that will motivate them to fix their ways, to repent and re return. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Yeshua came to show us how to live the Torah correctly. Yeshua's life is our target. Imitate him. When we miss the mark, you go left or right off the pathway. But the covenant is why you can come back and immediately be restored to fellowship without needing another sacrifice. See, it's not the same thing as breaking a contract. Contract is Greek thinking. Covenant is Hebrew, which is why Paul tells Timothy, keep the faith. Keep the covenant. Keep Torah. No, Joe, he said faith. Uh-huh. Hang on. Don't forget this. It's all connected. It's relationship. And I'm telling you, the last one I have for you today is going to be very important. Keep the faith is also keep the narrow way. The narrow way. And you see those rails? That's Torah. Those rails are the Torah. They're the guardrails to keep you on the narrow path. When you break Torah, you stray to the left or to the right. You sin. Quit hopping over the guardrails. There'll be monsters on those other sides. Don't go there. They'll hurt you. Stay on that narrow path. Yes, we all struggle while in the kingdom. Yes, I know that. So the understanding of sin, we'll return to this as well. Another Bible basic. The Hebrew root of grace. I'm going to get Charlie to chime himself in here in a minute, but real quick, you go to your homework, and you're going to find that I put that up there for you. There's Benner explaining grace to you. It's a, it's a long one. Now, in the Hebrew mind, repent means to return home, go back to the camp. In other words, get back on the narrow path. But Charlie, why don't you give us an idea of what we mean by grace, biblically? Uh, boy, this Big is... Big word, huh? This, this is huge, and 
we don't understand this. Um, I'm still struggling to fully understand this myself because in Hebrew, the, the typical word for grace is chen. Now, it's very likely that this word is also associated with another Hebrew word, chesed. And that makes sense to me. Explain because, why. Because please. chesed is, oh boy. Yeah, it's, I know. I it, it, to... it's, a, it's a word that we do not have an English definition for. Um, the best I can explain it or attempt to explain it is kind of like Shem, really. It is the essence of Yahweh. It's his love, his agape love for us, his his um, his abiding presence. It it it's it's everything about Yahweh is, is the way I can summarize it. it. It it's one of those words you just can't you can't put into you know words to adequately explain it. But hen. Uh, or, or grace is is associated with that and you'll find the way it's used very often is as a phrase or an idiom in hebrew and you'll find it over and over again it'll say if i have found favor or grace in your eyes then do this and it's a pleading of a servant to a king and basically it's saying, you know, if, if I've done anything that, that was pleasing to you, uh, grant my request is the way that usually goes, that dialogue usually goes. It's not that we have done, any, done anything to earn this, this you know, um, thing that we are asking of the king, but we're asking for his, his favor, his grace. That, that he will, you know, be kind to us and give us something that we're not deserving of. So a murderous adulterer. Yes. Oh, yeah. Could be found pleasing to the father. Yes. I'm talking about David, folks. Well, yeah, right. I mean, da David, oh my gosh. David. Well, so I was thinking just this morning, it's not just that he was a murderous adulterer. He did all that for a woman who was likely a Gentile. She was married to a Hittite. Yeah, yeah, that's very possible. Which is, but in David, their culture, that's even more boo-boo. But, you know, David, oh gosh, in my former religion, uh, David was was kind of thrown out saying, oh, he, he has lost his salvation. He's doomed. He's, you know, in uh, all that. Uh, you better rethink that. Yes. Because David is a perfect example of what what both chesed and Chen, uh, the, the, this grace and this this in Chesed usually is translated as is um, um, oh, oh gosh I forget the English word now it's trustworthy faithful loving kindness yeah, loving, loving kindness, kindness that's one that it, it generally is translated Mercy. as but David's a perfect example of that because yeah he screwed up he screwed up bad but we're told he's after Yahweh's heart. But what did he do? Once he Pentate. realized, oh crap, I screwed up. 
he turned around and he went back to daddy and he said, yeah, I screwed up like major. And he accepted the penalty. Like major screwed up. Without kicking and screaming. Yeah, he and lost he said, a child over he that. He said, you know, do do what you need to do to me. Uh, I deserve it. Whatever you, whatever punishment you want to. But, but this shows. It shows how to trust in the father. And that's why he paints himself yeah. as a fatherly figure to us. Right. In a properly functioning family. And that's agape love. Yeah. Don't go too far, Charlie. I'm going to have you back here in just a second. Because I told everybody this would be the next part, right? This is a big one. That's grace. We'll come back to it. The Hebrew concept of faith. Faith to the Hebrew is uphold or defend. And again, I gave you um, a link to this one. And basically, this is this is one we might even want to read. And if, if, if read this one before the day's over, it's short. See how short that is. But I'm going to bring Charlie in here again. I'm going to dump this off. We'll bring Charlie back in. Faith in Hebrew. It's not. It's more than the belief in things not seen. Remember, you have faith. You know, you believe that God exists. Well, good. So do the so do the demons and the so devils. The demons, right. They have faith that God exists. Yes. Hebrew idea of faith is a verb. It's a do. It's an action. It's guarding Torah. Yes. And by guarding, it means uphold. In other words, you are going to try to help Yahweh in his kingdom work. You are going to uphold the king and his teachings and his laws and his decrees. You actively work to align yourself with the king and his his mission. Now, I'm just going to ask Charlie to help us here, too, with the Hebrew word faith. Have I got that pretty pretty close where we're yeah, at? Yeah, with that's it? accurate. In what else would you add to this for us? Because this is this is another one that goes hand in hand with grace. This is this is important. We are not taught the proper understanding of faith biblically. This is what I love is is a military guy. <laughs> I love the Old Testament because a lot of the Old Testament is written in very militaristic terms mm-hmm. and also legalistic terms, as we talked about. Like earlier. a lawyer type legalistic, yes. not, not yeah, legalism, well, like yeah, a lawyer, lawyer like lawyer, law language. Right. Law, law language, right. And so it's very precise in that in that aspect. But a lot of the terms used in talking about how you carry out um, your, your, your walk in this path are military terms, like to guard. You know, this is talking about like a sentry mm-hmm. on guard duty. That's, that's the type of guard that this is talking about. This isn't just, you know, putting up a fence and, you know, hoping that nobody comes through the, the fence. You know, this is actually an active thing of guarding, walking your, your patrol and looking for signs of problems oh, and, and such like that. The reason this, this country is in so much trouble is we quit guarding the Constitution. We, right. Exactly. Exactly what's going wrong with our faith is we've quit guarding we've quit guarding, Torah. We've quit guarding. In this this even goes to the church. And this is what this is what caused us to quit guarding the Constitution is we quit guarding the Torah in our churches. And because of that, the enemy has has trampled down our walls, and they're now inside our cities, and they're plundering our cities right before our eyes. And like Cicero told us, 
you can't defend against the enemy from within. No, no. Once they're here, you can't, you know, like these people flooding over our borders, you know, we've talked about earlier this week. I mean, they're already here. They're already inside our cities, if you if you want to use that metaphor. And once they're inside your cities, it's hard to defend yourself. Yep. And a biblical faith, folks, <laughs> is obedience. A biblical faith will cause you to be obedient, which produces fruit. That's faith in the biblical sense is something you do. But when we read it in the New Testament, we think it's just something that you know or maybe have. No, 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 no. You've got to remember most everything that we think of in the Bible, grace and faith, we think of them as nouns. They're verbs in Hebrew. We'll come right back to that here. This is now we in general read the Old Testament, think it's harsh because we have grown soft. Yes, exactly. So true. Amen to that one. But Charlie, if you would add to that for me, how most of the things we think of it, it from the New Testament, we think of things in the in the New Testament teachings as nouns, something we have. Right, right. But yeah. in the Hebrew, they're actually verbs. Yes, yes. These these have action with them, like you know, Shema. You know, it's when when uh, when Yeshua says, "Those that have ears to hear, hear in in." Uh, in Hebrew would be Shema. And yeah, it means to listen or to hear, but from a Hebrew perspective, it doesn't mean to just listen with your ears. It means listen, understand it, and then do it. Yeah. React properly. It's to to obey it. It's to follow it. So there's much more to that than just, you know, from the Greek mindset of, you know, oh yeah, okay, that was a nice story. No, that story had something for you to do about it yes there's a proper response to it yes faith is a response to grace yes and salvation yes. oh yes it is faith is a response to torah yes so all of this folks this is huge and if you're listening to me if you stayed with me thanks charlie um I'll maybe give you a chance to wrap up here and go off your final thoughts in just a minute if you've stuck with us through you know, today and through the last few classes, I don't know how all of this is going to be affecting you. But when I ran into all of this and I started putting the pieces together and I'm like, holy crap, this stuff fits perfectly. I realized I hadn't been taught properly my entire life. Don't blame anybody for that specifically because I don't know whether or not they realized they were teaching improperly. There comes a point like in Yeshua's day, Jesus's time, how many of those Pharisees honestly believed that they were teaching the law correctly when they upheld the oral law? You know, they worked hard to memorize all that stuff. The Talmud is thick books and they had all of that memorized, but it was also secret law because the Pharisees were the only ones who knew it. And we're secret law is condemned in the Bible. The law has to be known written down so that the people can see it. That's another principle that the founding fathers wrote into our government. That's where they got it from. Okay. But these Pharisees thought they were teaching properly and they're very progressive in this. They thought that they were given secret knowledge to protect the people from themselves. So they would put what they called hedges around the law so that you wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. Well, that in itself was a sin. Moses said, don't, you know, Yahweh through Moses says, don't add or take away from. Well, they did both. And that's what Jesus condemned them for. 
but they come up through schooling thinking that's what they're supposed to be teaching. So they taught the people as faithfully as they could. That happens today. We have pastors and preachers that are teaching things that they think are right when it isn't. And if they would simply return to the rule book and learn to read it in the Hebrew, it's not enough to learn to read Hebrew. You have to understand the culture from which it's coming from. And trust me, if you read German, all you got to do is read it from different various regions of Germany and you realize that same language, different way of thinking. Or here in this country, if you're from New York and you come down here to, you know, lower Alabama, meaning Northwest Florida, or even the Southern parts of the occupied territory of Georgia, we're speaking English, but them Yankees don't understand us. We understand each other just fine. <laughs> yes, Natasha? Bless their hearts. Yes, ble- no, bless their little hearts. <laughs> bless their little hearts. Yeah. It, it, it do- See, that's another thing, folks. Same phrase, but it doesn't mean the same thing when a man says it as when a woman says it. If a woman says it, men, southern men, are running for the foxholes. <laughs> and, the Yan- and the Yankees are just standing around going, where'd everybody go? Because <laughs> we southern men understand when a, when a southern lady says that, it's time to find a, a hole to get small. <laughs> oh, shoot. Mom's got the frying pan again. Yeah. Your life. <laughs> exactly. But this is how the language works. So you have to read it from the culture from where it comes from. So what have we learned today? The first thing we learned is there's many different meanings for Israel. It's in your scriptures. I read some of the passage that defined it for you. What have we learned? What else have we learned? We learned covenants are all through your Bible. Your salvation, which is rescue from an enemy, the enemy here being death, it's connected to a covenant, the threshold covenant, which is uh, all of the other covenants put together. It's a marriage covenant, which is also servant, because isn't a man and a wife supposed to be servants to each other? It's also friendship. Aren't a man and a wife supposed to be each other's friends? It's inheritance. Don't they become one flesh? So everything that I own is my wife's, and everything my wife owns is mine. See? it all It's all relationship. It builds on each other. Precept upon precept, brick upon brick, layer upon layer. But if you don't have a firm foundation, built on solid ground. All it takes is one little moron like me to come along and say, hey, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got it, but that understanding you have there of faith, that is not a biblical understanding of faith. I pull that away and I say, oh, by the way, that's not a biblical understanding of grace either. Now where are you at? Your house is starting to come down. You can firmly defend it all you want, but you're defending the creation of men. And the Bible is very firm on this. You and I cannot make ourselves righteous to God, to Yahweh. He has to do that. And he did through his son, who is Yahweh coming down here, at least in part, and taking on the form of flesh and dying for us. Because what he's doing is he's fulfilling the law, his decree. If you divorce a wife, you can't remarry her unless the husband dies. So what did he do? He died for us which fulfilled the law, not did away with it, met the legal obligations of the law. So now that we can remarry through the house of Israel, which is exactly what Paul tells us, you're grafted in. You want to know why Paul told you not to become a Jew? Because he knew that if everybody became Jews, 
there would be no house of Israel, which means that you can't put the kingdom back together. That's another way of Satan trying to stop prophecy, which would mean Yahweh's not Yahweh. So he told you, stay a Gentile. Paul knew that that likely meant you were from the lost tribes or grafted into the lost tribes. Paul's not stupid. He knows these things. You and I don't because we were never taught this. It is clearly there. It's in Ezekiel. I had forgotten about that passage for a long time. It's not just in Jeremiah. Ezekiel, Yahweh, speaking through his servant, the prophet Ezekiel, says they are two houses. And then he says they will no longer be two houses. Ezekiel 37, that whole chapter in that area. Well, if Yahweh calls them two houses and a human being comes along and tells you, you're reading it wrong, ignore that human being. Because it is clearly stated in the Old Testament, in the prophets, two houses. And they have not been fully reunited, which gets us to something else. We're going to have to cover this Friday. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a little logic work on the difference between the way a Hebrew mind thought and the way the Greek thinks. It's important. You know, there's the passage in the scriptures, I will stir up your sons, O Zion, Hebrews, against your sons, O Greece, Greeks. And when I say Greek, I'm talking Greco-Roman, one kingdom. Yeah. There was different sides, you know, east and west and the four. We're talking one cultural, one continuous cultural way of, of thinking and doing things. They're all related. Rome is not a separate beast. Rome is just the offshoot of Greece. Left thigh, right thigh, however you want to look at it. So we'll talk about that. What else have we got today, though? Today, summing up today, we've looked at grace and faith. We've seen that those are different than what we're usually taught today. We've looked at sin, and we see how it relates to Torah in the way. And we've looked at Torah. We realize there's many different aspects to Torah, you know, to teachings, the law. The law of Moses is a Torah. It's part of Torah. What else did we cover today? Covenants, inheritance. All of these concepts are foundational building blocks. Messiah, he's our cornerstone, but he is the living Torah made flesh. He teaches us through his example why he was here living with us, Emmanuel, Yahweh with us, El, El, with us, you know. He shows us this is the way to live it. Imitate me. He corrected the Pharisees. He taught the people properly. Now, everybody seems to think his gospel's simple. Uh, did we miss the part where he says that the world's going to hate you if you listen to him? That's because the world hates truth. Our class is pretty much aware of that, right? You know, we're, we're never going to be billions and billions of people strong here. It's impossible. We may not always find it, but we seek capital T truth. If you hear his voice, capital T truth, his sheep will follow him. We're not going to be strong. We're going to be one-tenth part, the remnant. Always will be. And that's all that matters. You stay faithful. So he told us the world will hate us. Men will hate because of his name, because of his character, his Torah, his teachings. Not because you claim the name Jesus. 
but because you follow his teachings, which is truth, the world will hate you. We're, we're told that keeping Torah is not too difficult for us. It's a light thing. Yeshua tells us his yoke is light. We know these things. We should pay attention to them. But we're also told that it's not going to be easy. Okay? It's a narrow path. Narrow gate, rough path. Lots of windy, rocky, you know. The walk is tough because it's going to be very challenging. You have to stay focused. You got to run your race to the end. All of this. All of this. when It's in the Hebrew mindset. But you know what? It also gets simpler once you understand that. The Greek mind turns the biblical faith into something that you just give up on. You can't do it. You can't. And, and I almost gave up on my faith several times in my life because I understood it from the Greek mindset. From the Hebrew mindset, I realized, just trust Yahweh with everything. When you mess up, confess your sins, go back to him, seek forgiveness, quit doing what you were doing, fight against it. Fight against the sin that dwells in you until the last breath of your life. Seek him, live for him, uphold his kingdom, meaning be a good witness and testimony for him, defend him, be a public defender. Preach the gospel every day, and if you have to, use your words. Charles Spurgeon, bring it on, Brother Spurgeon. Live the kingdom of Yahweh every day. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, bind the wounds of the sick and the injured, visit those who are in jail. In other words, those who have no way of taking care of themselves, who are lonely and, and, and isolated. Defend the orphan, defend them and the, and the widow, defend those who are powerless. You do God's work for him here on earth. You were made in his image as his imager, his representative to do his work here in this realm. That's faith. That works. You're not earning a single thing. But he might find favor in you if you're doing that. Dip DDT, pick up your cross. Yes, exactly. Covenants, blood covenants. I die daily. What's he saying? Paul's saying, I'm a servant. I die daily. I blood sacrifice daily. I sacrifice myself daily as a servant to my master, Messiah. That's a covenantal relationship in that comment right there. He understands blood covenants. His audience understood most of this stuff. Yes, Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Where did he go when he went from town to town? He went to the synagogues. He was teaching those Gentiles who were already called. And he was telling the Jews there, you must accept these Gentiles into the family. That's the new covenant. Now, yeah, I have no doubt that he went out into the public and he preached it as well. But if you read the book of Acts, most of his teaching was done in the synagogues. And when we go to the council in Jerusalem, well, I just said you had to do four things to get into the synagogue where Moses is preached to them every Sabbath. I read a big exposition here not too long ago, one of those books I was reading about how the Torah has been done away with, saying, look, the council said, well, I only have to do four things if you're a Gentile. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. They said real clearly, James says, 
then Moses is preached to them every Sabbath. The whole thing was the Jews wouldn't let the Gentiles into the synagogue because they were unclean. So notice the four things they're told to abstain from. The four most filthy, unclean things you could do that a Gentile would not want to, I mean, a Jew was told not to associate with you for. So they're not telling them this is all you have to do, Gentiles. They're saying these are the four things you've got to quit doing so that the Jews will let you into the synagogue to learn the Torah from Moses. And that's exactly what James says, if we would keep reading that passage. But we're very good Christians. We read a few verses and we stop right there. Thou said you shall not judge, and we stop. And we miss the part where it says, so when you learn to judge, you judge rightly. Oh, we love the don't judge, but we miss the part where you got to learn. And you learn by examining the person in your mirror, not your neighbor. We're very good with this. You must swallow scripture whole. That's all I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to share my understanding of it with those who find value in it. That's it. That's all Charlie and Natasha and I are trying to do. And everything we do, oh gosh, I pray everything we do points to his son and him and not to us. We're not prophets. We're not special. This is not a ministry, our ministry, none of that. We're servants, slaves to the Messiah and his father. I'm a good little private. Don't put any stripes on my shoulder. People might expect me to do more than I already have to do. And I'm probably not worthy of it and I'm going to fail. So just leave me be a private. I'll push the mop and the broom. I've done that before. Not a problem doing it again. I still wear the Eagle Globe and Anchor. In this case, I'm still part of the kingdom. I'm a happy camper. I just hope that what the three of us do here enriches your life and helps you better understand the scriptures and come closer to the Messiah and the Father. If you have questions, please email them to us or put them up on the board. We'll do our best to answer them. Comment from Aaron Spikes. I'm just wondering how I'm going to handle them when they come. Yeshua said, resist not evil. I'm not sure I can get that concept of turn the other cheek. I understand. But because it wasn't done under the advent of law as a nation, the believers went singing and praising Yahweh willingly to the lions. You were told. You might actually have to martyr yourself for him, Aaron. That's a different show. But we're going to have to have that one soon, too. Because those days are quickly approaching us. We thank each and every one of you for being here. We love you. We truly do. Agape and filio, brotherly love. We hope we're faithful servants to him. And that we bring honor and glory to him. And his son, we also help hope that we're faithful servants to you. If we're doing anything that you find of value, at the very least, hit the thumbs up or the rumble buttons that talks to Charlie and Natasha and myself and tells us we did okay today. Share the show with your friends and relatives, people that you know, if you think it'll help them. Please prepare them for me. It's not a joke. When I tell you I know that I'm caustic and hard to get used to, I know that. I've heard it my whole life. Marianne here on on uh, YouTube today. She's a witness. She's known me since the eighth grade. She knows. Tortoise has known me my whole life. Secret Squirrel has known me my entire life. 
they'll back her up. But all three of them have told me that I've changed in recent years. I don't see it. They do. I'll have to trust them because it's something I seem to be blind to. But I don't think they'd lie to me here. So, But that doesn't mean that other people are going to take me. <laughs> I don't sugarcoat anything like Brother William says. And sometimes people find that hard to deal with. I wouldn't be me. This show wouldn't be what it is if I sugarcoated it. Sometimes I might act a fool, but that's just the Marine in me. You laugh in the face of certain death. Otherwise, you can't go do what you're supposed to do. And then if you're lucky, Yahweh sees you through it. You live, and you look back, and you go, crap, how'd that happen? And then they say, hey, look, more certain death. So you laugh again, and off you go. Yeah, the Christian faith, the walk of our lives, our faith is a lot like that. Just trust him. He'll see you through it. You're immortal until he's done with you. So, tomorrow, little conspiracy theory for you about voting <laughs> in elections. Friday, scripture will be our illustration, but we're going to be talking about logic, Greek logic versus Hebrew logic. Boy, do I have some interesting insights to share with you that might further open and enlighten the way you read and understand your scriptures. But it'll also help you understand how different people of different cultures think differently when we do. Because if you have ever had to deal with an Asian mind or mentality, you know, uh, Korean, Vietnamese, Chinese, whatever, Eastern mindset, this is going to be related. They think differently than we do in the West. And that affects the way we should understand them. It's why we misestimate them quite often to our own detriment. We're arrogant. Got it all figured out. Uh-huh. Doesn't work out too well. Not usually. So we will see you tomorrow. And until then, y'all stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Yahweh bless. Have a good day.